0: Super stoked to have Distro Kids sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Produce Row Cafe in Portland, Oregon. This spot offers free live music every Thursday night throughout the summer from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. and Sunday brunch tunes from noon to 2 p.m. with DJs spinning vinyl Lots of dance parties both day and night are on the summer calendar as well, featuring events from Global Based and other promoters. They are located in inner southeast Portland, and aside from offering free music every week on their patio, they've got a killer brunch menu on Saturdays and Sundays. The migas and the breakfast sandwich are lights out, and the lunch and dinner menu doesn't slack either. Come through and check out some tunes over there at Produce Row Cafe, as well as their new summer seasonal cocktail menu. This is a great spot to grab some food and some drinks and enjoy some tunes with friends or family. Appreciate Produce Row being a supporter of the podcast and the local Portland music community. Now, let's start the show.
1: Down at the uh, of the... Down at the
0: What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Tuesday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes. Clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so. that will help propel this thing into the tops of those itunes charts which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels helping strangers find the podcast and just a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so if you're not listening on apple just hit like follow subscribe wherever you are listening from and uh tell a friend about the podcast word of mouth is always a great way to uh share this thing and i'm also dropping monthly playlists on spotify and apple every first of the month pretty spread out genre wise so you can find the links for those in the episode notes just a snapshot of what i'm listening to throughout the month and uh some things that have been making it into my dj sets as of late hope everybody is doing well out there i am currently in chico california tour managing for high pulp out of seattle washington got a few more days of this run before we are back in the pacific northwest good times out here with the gang great to be back with everybody chico is pretty cool this is uh i've never really spent much time here in chico i've driven through but uh we're here for a couple of full days which is nice to kind of get to cruise around the city a little bit and uh very much dig this uh little college town for sure the band has uh their own hot sauce now that we're selling on tour they've got some fresh t-shirts and hats that are really dope too so Check out the High Pulp merch. Check out the the remaining High Pulp dates if you're listening to this in time. Things are uh, going pretty good out here. There's fun days out on tour, and there's hard days out on tour. But overall, wouldn't want to uh, be anywhere else. And last week, home base for this tour was Los Angeles at my cousin Bobby's house, who you might know from the High Pulp Gang, or as my co-host for the I Dig Records series that I was doing for a long time. Haven't done one of those in a minute, but uh, we stayed in LA for about five days, and I was able to link up a podcast while I was out there, and uh, man, it was so great to have the opportunity to hang out with Ben Jorgensen, frontman and songwriter for the band Armor for Sleep. Once again, I think it was really nice this time around for me because I had, uh, such a better sense, I think of who Ben was or what he would be like this time around. And we didn't have to develop this rapport as much this time around, since we, we weren't strangers to one another and we were able to just kind of slip right into things. He was, Super kind and cool to hang out with again. And I'm just uh, so glad that we got to do the cast again. Very rad to hear about the making and the concepts for Armor for Sleep's new record, The Rain Museum, which is out on all the things as well as vinyl. Seems like Ben has definitely experienced some growth in his songwriting from a a vulnerability standpoint and has definitely uh, picked up a lot along the way from his experiences in this industry. So if you're new to the podcast and you didn't catch my first chat with Ben about a year and a half ago, it's episode 258. Go back, check that one out. It will provide some context for this one, especially if you're an Armor for Sleep fan and wondering why I didn't do some sort of deep dive on the band's history and the anniversary of what to do when you're dead. All of that is covered in the first conversation we had and this one kind of picks up right where we left off in a cool launch pad for this episode, but uh, big thanks to Ben for being willing to take the time again. I had a lot of time to kind of reflect on where my life is at on my way back to where I was staying in L.A. after this one, and my life can feel so busy most of the time, and it's mostly by my own design and mostly always doing things I signed up for or want to be doing. But I think it's important to acknowledge the cool moments and that drive back was one of those times where I was just feeling very grateful and knew that young Daniel would be proud of where I'm at and the things I'm doing with my life. It still feels a little surreal sometimes that I casually you know just went and hung out with some dude i used to watch on mtv but it also feels very comfortable at this point and like i'm in the right place and nice to experience moments where you can shake the imposter syndrome and just enjoy the moment or the conversation that you were in and uh and not worry so much about it being perfect through and through so with that said we're gonna get into this thing momentarily armor for sleep will be out on tour in october with hawthorne heights All the links will be in the episode notes, so tap into that if you are trying to see this band live. If you are in the Portland, Oregon area, I'll be DJing this Friday on the 30th at Satellite Tavern in North Portland, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. And also the band I'm currently on tour with, High Pulp, will be playing Portland on October 2nd at the Fixin' 2 with past guests of the podcast, Colt Crimes and Yuck God that one is going to be killer all right this is episode 327 with ben jorgensen from armor for sleep we're gonna kick the episode off with a track from their new record the rain museum this is how far apart let's do the damn thing
1: All right, that
0: thing Hello. Is rolling. Hello. All right, Ben, you ready to jump into this thing? Not yet. Okay. Now I'm ready. He's ready, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, stoked to be uh, be back on the mics with you.
2: Yeah, thanks for coming back. You know, I got to say, so we're in person right now. I've done a bunch of uh, podcasts recently, all from my computer. And I feel like it's fine, but there's always like a Wi-Fi lag or signal yeah. delay. And it's just it's nice knowing that um, there's very little delay between me and you because we're in, in reality with each other. You know what I mean? Like, and that does affect me, like talking about things, but and, and like hearing like a Wi-Fi, like skits something out or like, it, it, you know, it just takes away, takes away from the truth of the conversation in a way
0: distracting especially for me as the facilitator even doing those things because I'm worried about like not just my regular recording device but what the the x factors and variables of like not just my connection but your connection to the internet and just like dealing with all that can be it can definitely, like, take me out of it sometimes, and usually it's all right, but I also think it, like, takes longer to, like, hit some sort of groove with those things sometimes yeah. to not be in the same room, so, yeah, it's very nice to...
2: Yeah, it's cool. People don't do it anymore.
0: I was uh, I was very stoked that we were able to not have to do the computer thing and get to actually hang out again. Yeah, for sure, man. It was uh, definitely the preference, but... Last time we chatted was about a year and a half ago.
2: Holy shit. Was yeah, it that? Oh my God. Wild.
0: <laughs> it was like last, it was Fuck. not this May, but the previous. And you were just kind of gearing up for going out on the anniversary tour. You know, you, Interesting. Yeah. You hadn't really like quite dove into doing rehearsals yet and you were just like about to head back east so before we get into the rain museum stuff sure. which i definitely want to dive into the most recent armor for sleep record um talk to me about what that tour was like and getting to uh dive deep into the what to do when you're dead catalog of tunes and, and play those out live again and and Get to just be out in front of crowds of people again after this uh you know the pandemic yeah. which is still kind of i guess around but people are going know. to shows again which By, is nice i
2: just came out and said the pandemic is over so oh. I, guess, I guess well, it's well. It's <laughs> <a> sleepy <laughs> joe you know <laughs> um yeah that was crazy i mean i think there were two narratives going on during that tour one of them was like the armor for sleep narrative, and like you know, which was interesting. Um, just us playing shows again, and would our fans come out and what would they think? And then also the fact that um, it was postponed for a year and a half, so when it did actually happen, it was right, um, it was like in the window after Delta, but before Omicron had like taken over, so it's when shows were happening, so it's the first shows that happened um after covid a lot of these venues that we were playing had only been open for two weeks so like i would say a narrative that was just as big as you know us getting back together was the fact that like people coming to shows for a lot of them it was the first time these people had like left their houses in a year and a half and it was like the first public thing they went to so on one hand it was really fucking awesome to have people still singing along to like car underwater and uh you know, wanting to like talk to us about what to do when you're dead. On the other hand, it was really cool to be, you know, kind of like this part of history in people's lives where like, I know they'll probably remember for a long time, like, Oh, the first thing I did after quarantine was like going to this armor for sleep show and being around people and, you know, finally feeling like at least semi comfortable to be, you know, in a crowd again. So yeah it was it was very special uh kind of for both of those reasons um but you know just talking about armor it was it was nuts because even though it happened a year and a half after it originally happened some of these shows were just insane and like um i you know i really wanted to Thank everybody for coming out to the shows, especially in light of COVID. So, like every night on stage, I'd be like, Hey, right after we're done, I'm gonna go, we're all gonna go walk over to the t shirt area. We'd love to just like say hi to as many of you as we can. And, um, a lot of the venues were not stoked about that. <laughs> but, um, you know, like I remember we played in Orlando at this place called the Beach room, which is like a pretty big room. And at the end of this show, I was like, You know, like the line of people were coming around and I was like signing stuff. And then I looked up and the line of people waiting online for us wrapped around the entire floor of the whole venue. It was like a giant snake. And it was just, uh, it was really cool. I mean, it's, it's crazy. You know, I mean, that album came out in 2006, you know, um, that's a long fucking time ago.
0: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Was it kind of just, uh, maybe even reminiscent of showing up to venues around that time when you,
2: would you see a line Wrapped around the building When you arrived um, Well the thing is That That didn't happen then For us You know what I mean Like when we When that album came out um, We were not that band Like when we were touring Then Fallout Boy Was that band That had the line Around the block And like our, our friends At Take Back Sunday Were blowing up But like we, we kind of felt it A little bit Like when Car Underwater And Truth About Heaven Started to get played On MTV V two, But we weren't like the line wrapping around the venue band we were like oh we drew a hundred people in kansas like that's fucking sick and like that was that was awesome for that time but like what we saw on this tour like so many years after the fact um that really didn't happen back then you know uh so it was just very interesting
0: like yeah. there was uh a different energy even like playing the shows under those, the circumstances that you were kind of talking about with people maybe being at their first show back since then, like, I don't know, could you feel something different or was it even, did you feel like you were tapping into something
2: different up on stage every night? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was interesting because what we definitely saw and this isn't news to anyone, but, um, the country uh, felt very differently about the pandemic based on where you were. So for instance, our first few shows were in Texas, right? Like Houston, Dallas, Austin, no masks in any of the shows. The shows were completely packed. People were comfortable. When we played San Francisco, it, you, it was palpable how afraid people were. Um, everyone was in masks. Uh, people people bought tickets to the show that day like i know for a fact we sold tickets that day and out of the people that bought tickets that day only 20 percent of them showed up can you imagine how weird that is where someone wakes up in the morning they're like we're gonna go to a show today and they got the heebie-jeebies and like by showtime they didn't show up and like i guess the venue and i guess us too were like okay well whatever that's money in the bank they showed support so like the venue were like happy about it but um you know obviously i wished they could have been at the show but i understand that but so we had this weird geographical tour of like who's most afraid of covid and uh you know it definitely varied by region and uh that was just weird to see too like no judgment on anyone um you know i get it yeah it's interesting though because you know
0: we're all in the same same place but things are very different from region to region yeah That definitely being one of those things that was different from, yeah, even just being out for like five weeks in in May and just going to different parts of the country where, you know, and certain venues also are just like, we're super heavy on the the COVID restrictions still. And everybody like, well, wear a mask here. And then you show up to other places and they look at you funny if you walk in the door with the mask. 100%. (laughs) Yeah.
2: And this is like week to week, you know, seeing these differences. Yeah. Was there
0: any additional weight or anxiety that you could feel like within the band to not like was there this overwhelming sense of like, oh man, if someone gets COVID on the crew today, like we're done? Like did you Yeah. Could you kind of feel that oh. as well?
2: You know, we had conversations before before that tour and we we just went out with dashboard and something Corp, uh no, not something corporate uh, and Andrew McMahon. Um And, um, yeah, we, they were very, um, I I mean, I think it's in a different place now than it was a year and a half ago, but like they have a policy, like no guests, um, backstage at all, just to try and keep crowds of people that they don't know away. Like I get, I get that. Um, but we had conversations about like, what happens if someone in our camp gets COVID? Would that mean that we're absolutely done all of us or would that mean we send one guy home? Uh, we all like test the next day. Like, yeah, we went through a bunch of different contingencies. I mean, thankfully nobody, I don't know how, but nobody got COVID while we were on tour. It doesn't make sense to me also. Cause on the, on the dashboard, Andrew tour, I was going out into the crowd every night and like shaking hands with people, you know, after the set every night, like on day two, I was like, Oh, I'm definitely getting COVID. But uh, didn't get COVID, so we didn't have to go there. But yeah, we we had conversations about like what is the plan because I was certain someone was going to go down.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, I mean, we're all vaxxed, so maybe that helped. But then again, I know plenty of people that have been double vaxxed and still yeah, got for sure. it. So I, I got, don't know.
0: I got it. I was double vaxxed. Yeah, no, but, me too. <laughs> you know, yeah. hopefully, I maybe got a less degree of it because of it. But yeah, yeah.
2: no, knows? I was double vaxxed and I got it. Um, the summer when Delta first became a thing and I got vaxxed like early. And so like we were at that point where like, people were like, no, if you're double vaxxed, you probably won't get COVID. So when I got COVID that summer, I called all my friends. I was like, yo, we're all fucked. Cause I got it. And like, I was maybe like a month or two earlier to get the vaccine than my friends. And I was like, if I got it, And like, I wasn't even doing anything crazy. I was like, we're all going to get it. And it turned out to be true. (laughs) That didn't really stop it. I mean, may have helped me from going to the hospital, you know? So it was still a good idea, I think. But
0: Well, hopefully we're getting a little further and further away from having to like deal with even the anxiety of that or just having to worry about it on on tour of just being, you know, having it be that, that X factor. Yeah. You know, someone gets this
2: thing. Yeah. Now it's like if someone gets it, you're not worried that they're going to die. You're just like worried about the logistics and like the money lost of having to cancel a week, a week's worth of shows, you know, like that's the biggest thing now. Absolutely. Which is better than worrying about if someone's (laughs) going to die. Agreed. Agreed.
0: (laughs) So before you took off on tour, was it solidified to you that there would be another armor for sleep record? Because I remember last time you and I chatted we didn't talk about it on the mics, but before I left, you're like, I'm kind of working on some songs, but I'm not yeah. sure exactly what's going to happen. So, totally. So did you leave on that tour having that solidified, that Rain Museum would be a thing, there would be another Armor for Sleep record, or did touring and getting to play again, you know, confirm that?
2: Yeah, so I was talking about it with you off mic, um... I think I was talking with Courtney, uh, Courtney Ballard who produced the record. And, um, cause he and I had been talking, uh, cause he, he heard a bunch of the demos I was doing, which was right around May when we talked. And, um, so soon after, I guess I met with you, he was like, yo, let's just do the full length. He's like, it's almost done. And I was like, okay. I was like, I'm, I'm ready. And he was like, yeah, you just, you know, there are some songs you need to finish up. So, I think we started recording in June, um, and we were, it was supposed to take four weeks. It wound up taking seven weeks and, um, and then the armor tour started in August. So when we did the, what to do when you were dead tour, we had the album fully recorded. And like, I think we were like, should we like tell people we just finished a new album? But I think we all just, you know, wanted to, um, make that tour like a celebration of what to do when you were dead. Uh, we didn't want to like muddle the message and also the, you know, the record wasn't like mixed yet. And, um, uh, I just think, you know, equal vision were behind it obviously the whole time, but, um, we still had to like formulate a plan. So we were like, let's just do the tour. And, you know, I think that invigorated all of us to like, want to like really have a good plan for the record. Um, but yeah, then that whole year after, uh, we were just sitting on the record, um, formulating a plan. And then, uh, you know, I, th- I think it wasn't until like, uh, June that we put out, um, the first video. Um, so yeah, it was almost a year. Won't be
0: till this upcoming run with Hawthorne Heights and these upcoming shows that you have the opportunity to play some of these yeah. new jams live.
2: Yeah, we, uh, so, uh, we just did the dashboard Andrew tour that I mentioned, um, we were only playing a 30 minute set that night and the album uh, came out um, not that long ago. It wasn't out on that tour. So we put out one song called how far apart the music video for that. So we just played that song as the new song. And then the rest of the songs were like, you know, from our, from our catalog, but yeah, on the Hawthorne tour, since we'll be playing a longer set cause it's a co-headlining bill, I think we're going to play um, a couple more from the album. Again, we don't, I know how people feel about new songs like obviously, you know, it takes time to become familiar with the new album, so we don't want to just like be like this we're gonna play our whole album front to back, you know what I mean? But we'll start we'll start playing a couple more songs, I think.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would hope that the people that are fans of your band do want to know, yeah. you know, what you know, or hear what you've been working on as of late, you know, you, it's been yeah. what 15 years since the last totally. armor for sleep record. What was it like for you to go in and record a new batch of tunes, knowing that it was a new armor for sleep record, having that much time in between?
2: I think I tried not to think about it in that context. Like for instance, I i know I made a concerted effort not to listen to what to do when you're dead or dream to make believe or anything else we did while recording. Um, just because I didn't want to put it in my head. Like, um, this is going to be a thing because it contrasts with our other stuff or because it's similar. Like maybe it's like a nod to this. Like I really did want it to be as much of like its own thing coming from its own place as, um, As possible, you know, um, so I wasn't thinking about it in terms of like, where can this fit in the armor catalog? I was just more, you know, like I had my objective of like what I wanted the album to be about and, um, just tried to stay laser focused on that, um, Because I know, you know, from the past when I, when I, and when we weren't laser focused on that, that's kind of like when the, the wheels start to come off the wagon, you know what I mean?
0: Worried about the outside noise instead of just like the project or the objective that you're talking about or that vision that you kind of initially have.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I, I just kind of, yeah, just kept my eyes on like what this thing was and, uh, you know and then afterwards like i listened to like like once i remember the first time i listened to what to do when you were dead after having completed this album i was like oh wow this does sound like different you know what i mean like tone wise like you know just things like that yeah. i just hadn't listened to for so long so it was interesting to go back
0: yeah i think there's definitely like some different uh dynamics explored like tonally yeah with this one and but it also just uh it seemed like you touched on a lot with this record, you know, like there's, there's the instrumentals Mm -hmm. on there. Yeah. And I thought that that was like just a a great way to kind of open up the world of like what rain museum was with that instrumental track and give people like the opportunity to slip into that, that front to back experience. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if that was that track an afterthought, um, like made, to create that introduction track or was that an instrumental that you were kind of like fucking around with throughout the process of making the record? So
2: with that track specifically, that was the first uh, song that I finished for this album as an instrumental and if there was one thing i knew about the album is that it was going to start with that track (laughs) which i also knew like when i when i played the the demos for courtney in his studio i was like i want the album to start with this instrumental And, like, if we had the same management company that we had back in the day, they would have looked at me and just said, you're not starting the album with that. (laughs) Like, that is literally what would piss off any label and any managers, because they'd be like, why would you start the song with a three-minute instrumental? Because you got to create the world, man. Yeah. Well, (laughs) for me, it makes sense. But for all them, they're like, no, it's got to be immediate. And I'm like, well, you know what? Like... So that that actually was the probably the most intentional thing. It's like, and the demo of that is basically the, the lead track on the album. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was very intentional. And uh, I gotta say, Courtney as a producer never once pushed back on it. He was like, "That's fucking dope. Let's do that," yeah. um, which was awesome because I know that's kind of a weird thing, and I know it it works against like the Spotify algorithms or mm-hmm. whatever, you know. But like that that's one thing i didn't i didn't care about for this album
0: What was the importance for you to kick it off with that instrumental track? Um, Like, what did that symbolize for you to, for the listener that was going to take the front to back
2: experience? I think there's something that I remember about, like, why a bridge in a song um, became a thing in songs. And it goes back to classical music where uh, there was always a piece in classical music where there was a different part or some loud noise, usually in the middle of like a movement and the conductors put it in because people would literally be falling asleep, uh, in the, you know, in wherever they played the symphonies. Um, so it was just an act of like snapping people out of something. And that's why a, a bridge in song usually comes after the second chorus. Cause it's like the second chorus has hit twice and people are getting this jingle stuck in their head, but then, you know, they might start to tune out. So you put a bridge in there as a different idea. So for me, this opening track is an instrumental, I think it was just important kind of like what you said to, um, usher people into the fact that like, I would hope people don't put this on lightly. You know what I mean? That like, I wanted to like make people be like, what the fuck? Why is there no singing? And just kind of like, it's an immediate, like, I, I, I wanted to make a message that this was, I wanted people to pay attention a little bit more. For sure.
0: And like, I don't think that that's like, Super far outside of the box of shit You've done in the past yeah. Like maybe you haven't like Opened one up with an instrumental But like there's always been Those transition tracks in yeah. the record Like we talked about some of that With what to do when you're dead Like just like some of the flow That that album had So yeah. it's like I would expect nothing less yes. I cool. guess yeah. Thank you
2: Yeah and you know that's Those are my instincts too Um, So yeah I'm glad this time around I worked with a producer Who also just wanted to do a cool armor for sleep record and wasn't like, yeah, but is it going to be a hit? You know what I mean? Like, you know, like questioning everything. Yeah. (laughs) Like um, with that motivation. Yeah. So it was awesome. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's kind of like, that's why we did that.
0: Yeah. Talk to me a little bit more about working with Courtney and like how you feel like he shaped the record and, and these songs and maybe how, This recording experience was different Than uh, prior experiences Of making Armor records
2: Yeah What's really cool about Courtney Is he um, He grew up in the scene uh, Played in a bunch of bands And he has a respect for Armor now um, And really wanted to do This album because he Respected everything about Armor And I feel like In the past maybe some of the producers Maybe And this, this isn't a knock on any of the producers, but we didn't have like a, a a brand yet, or we didn't, maybe like what we were trying to do since it hadn't been developed yet and we didn't really have like fans in place. Producers were like, okay, I get what you're trying to do, but like, let's kind of like mold it to more like this. So then these people will get it. And, and you know, to be fair, not a knock against any of those, those producers, um, but like we were just kind of a baby band and you know I think we didn't have maybe that power in the studio to be like yo like this is just our vision and uh maybe some of that's on me maybe I should have been more of a dick in the past but you know I guess I'll just talk about Courtney Courtney was like I want to make the best Armor for Sleep record and um it wasn't like I want to you know there's no caveat to it Like I want to do an Armor for Sleep record But let's put rap in the bridges You know what I mean yeah, Like, yeah. he And so uh, that was awesome But at the same time he also wanted to like Push it um, a little bit And um, he uh, Wanted to keep it what it was But he also wanted I mean performance wise he wanted the best out of me And we also had a few songs To fill in on the album um, Like from that point in May When I played him the demos there were a few songs left to do and Courtney really spearheaded finishing out those last couple songs. And, um, I'm glad he did because I liked, you know, what we got out of the last few songs that we wrote for the album.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that was, uh, a much better experience for you with the, I remember talking to you about, you know, the prior record and that you mm-hmm. did have to deal with like so many different voices in the room of yeah. telling you that, your vision for this wasn't the right thing or, yeah. you know, getting a lot of that pushback mm-hmm. so it must have been nice to just you know, dive into your ideas and, and have somebody constructively criticize or like help you shape those instead yeah. of just being like "No, nah, man, this isn't the hit
2: yeah. <laughs> this isn't going to you know, placate to these people and also like the, there was just no pressure because nobody knew we were doing a record at all because we hadn't done one in 15 years so <laughs> You know, even Equal Vision, um, I didn't have to play them a single demo. They didn't want to be in the studio chiming in. They were just like, go make the record, let us know when it's done, we'll pay for it, and God bless. And so, you know, it was just, yeah, we were just in there. Um, and it was like the same freedom we had when we did Dream to Make Believe and What to Do When You are Dead, because no one gave a fuck either. So, you know, it's kind of like full circle back to like, at the beginning of being in a band, just doing... Uh, what we wanted to do
0: yeah when you think about um maybe that vision or objective you had with making this record initially like what did you see as the vision for the rain museum like what was the the concept or kind of like maybe the through lines that you see throughout the record
2: yeah so it's um so what did you and your dad it's uh, It's really easy to summarize because it's a concept record about a guy drives his car into a lake and then he's kind of a, he's a ghost in purgatory. And it was kind of like outside of myself. I mean, I, I was drawing on personal experiences, but it's kind of like a linear concept album. So kind of like the story behind this one is the original idea was... Um, I had an idea to do an album called the rain museum after what to do when you were dead. It it was based on a short story that I wrote and after what to do when you were dead, I wanted, I was really into the idea of concept records and I wanted to take the concept record idea to the next level and do a concept record based on the short story that I had written, um, about there was this desert world, you know, it was like in, in, it took place on planet earth, but after like we'd fucked with the climate, so it didn't rain anymore. And there was this, De- uh, there was this museum in the middle of the desert, and all these people went to it because it had relics from like humanity. And um, and people got so attracted to the museum that they all drowned themselves <laughs> instead of wanting. Yeah, it was pretty dark. Oh, yeah. So after what to do in your Dead I was like, I want to do this album, and I want to like make like a graphic novel that would come with the album, and like it's gonna be this whole series. You know, it's like when concept album was like the shit in the scene that's also when we signed to Warner brothers and at the time the people around us were like, don't do that. (laughs) Make a simple armor for sleep record. And that's kind of like why we did smile for them. It was like the scaled down version of armor. And also it just didn't, it didn't work because it didn't have that big idea that I think our fans were like going to love. So whatever our band broke up soon after that. And I never got to see that album out, but like I had been teasing it already. Like one, one funny fact is, uh, we did a we did a music video for a song called Hold the Door Off Smile for them. And uh there's a scene where like I'm walking by a, a record store and the director of the video was like, Hey, we we're gonna CGI like a name of the record store after the fact. Do you want do you want anything in particular up there? So I said, Yeah, put RM records because Rain Museum is the album that I always wanted to do, but I could uh, never do. So it says RM records up there. Anyway, so flash forward to the pandemic, I was like, I really want to revisit this idea Because I think it would be I thought it would be a cool thing To like bring this album to life That I never got to do And to like bring back Armor for Sleep And that sound Where where shit changed is At that point in my life Is when my marriage of eight years uh, Fell apart the same time That I was diving in to do this concept album So uh, because the world was in lockdown I didn't have like friends or family to like go hang out with in the same way. The only, the only thing I had to take my mind off this really bleak situation I was going through personally was to like keep powering through and try and bring the rain museum to life. So I was like, I'm just going to focus on this. This is going to like keep my mind off my breakup. And um, what happened is I started like basically writing myself into the story. So these lyrics that were supposed to be about kind of like the separate story from me, I I was writing about, you know, my heartbreak and what I was going through, like kind of like over the music that I was just intending for this thing. So then I was like, fuck, should I stop? Should I separate these two ideas? And then, and then a cool thought occurred to me that like, you know, I think the album that I really want to make is a combination of this idea from the past that I want to bring to life and also about this very real thing that yeah. I'm going through. And I knew it was going to be different than what to do when you are dead because it's not going to be this one clear cut story. It's going to be kind of this combination of, you know, my personal hell that I was going through over this idea and this artwork that I wanted to bring back from the past, um, So that's that's what it is in a way. It's like a concept album about a concept album or like, you know, just I don't know if you ever saw the movie Adaptation. Absolutely. Um, But yeah, so Charlie Kaufman was uh, tasked with adapting this book called uh, The Orchid Thief. And so the movie company told him to write a screenplay based on it, but he wound up writing himself into the movie because he was writing about himself writing an adaptation of this book but the book was about how this orchid adapts so it's kind of like it works on all these different levels so anyway so that's like so this album is like my version of adaptation in an album
1: form
0: feel like maybe you tapped into a different level of like vulnerability or like catharsis with this record because i remember talking to you last time and i feel like you you said something along the lines that you didn't necessarily always have this connection to like having some therapeutic experience with writing lyrics so was there was there any more sense of this that
2: with this one yeah so for sure i feel like in the past uh I've written about things, but like, I feel like I could always be kind of like distant from what I was writing about. Um, So it was always genuine, but it was like, I always thought it was kind of bullshit when people were like, songwriting is my therapy, you know, I was like, come on, dude. Um, But for this album, because I, I, it was just the time in my life when I was writing this, I was so in the trenches. Of, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening have been through like bad breakups and it's, you know, I was at a phase in my life where it's all I could see and it was all that was around me. So some of these songs were very like physically difficult for me to finish writing and, um, and that's, that's very different from how it was for me in the past. And, uh, you know, that kind of motivated me to want to do it because, I I was just hoping that um, at some point in the future maybe somebody going through, you know, their own fucked up time could find this and at least maybe know someone else went through it, you know, because I know that also for me, listening to my favorite records, reading what other people wrote when they were going through their breakups, um, it helped me um, immensely. So, you know, just the thought of contributing To like art that's out there that other people might have when they're going through that, like that, that motivated me to want to keep powering through, you know,
0: was there also maybe a different release or like weight when you actually put this record out? Did you feel like some sort of relief then as well? Like you were able to like let it go or was it also maybe even more? scary to put this one out just because not just because it had been fifteen years since the last armor record, but also because you were putting yourself out there in this way. Yeah,
2: I didn't I don't feel like fear about it. because um, I don't you know, I, I I I don't know. Everyone's been through like breakups, so it doesn't it yeah. doesn't feel like that intrusive and I'm not being like that crazy personal where I feel like I'm revealing some like weird facts about me or someone else. Right. Um, There's a
0: lot of mystique in the, in the the way that you present things. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But I do feel like, you know, I read a lot about, um, advice about, uh, helping people who are going through any kind of traumatic moment in their lives. And a lot of them talk about like journaling and I never, I never journaled. Um, but after doing this album, you know, when you are kind of writing something, It is kind of like you're memorializing it, you know, and then when you're feeling better a week later, you can be like, oh, a week ago, I felt the need to just like write this down. And I'm glad I did. But like it it almost it puts like a bookmark there that like a week ago I was in this place. And then you reflect on how like you're not there now, like you don't have the need to like journal anymore. So maybe journaling was helpful for a future version of yourself to look back on. So there is something helpful about me knowing I went through this and kind of like memorialize this fucked up moment in my life. But like, I think it, it did help me cope and give me some finality just to that time. You know, it's like I did this thing that's in the world and like, I can kind of like leave it there and then move on. But in some way it like materialized these things abstract thoughts in my head that like it does feel good that I you know I I made it real you know what I mean and I would encourage other people you know I don't know if it's journaling or if it's drawing or or something uh just getting putting something into the real world I think is an interesting exercise when you're going through fucked up shit
0: yeah I totally agree I think it's like nice to uh not feel like it's just trapped in your head however you yeah. get it out there even if you don't share it necessarily yeah, no. with anybody if you get it on that page like you're saying you <laughs> totally. at least can like reflect that on it during different times or maybe like pull yourself outside of it because it's yeah. easy to just like drown
2: in those thoughts yeah absolutely and you know a lot of times people are like oh like write that letter to that person but obviously don't send it but at least writing the letter helps so for me it's a little (laughs) weird because I did an album that a bunch of people will hear so like (laughs) I don't encourage everyone to do that Uh, (laughs) I feel okay with it Uh, but
0: (laughs) no I think that's cool though that you did like there there's obviously growth in that too of just like you did reach the point of this thing that you maybe thought was like bullshit or hadn't tapped into yeah. quite in this same way. And I think yeah, I think you can you can hear that in some of the tracks. I think see you on the other side is one of my favorite oh, songs man. off the record. I was curious with that one. Did you uh did you sort of build that one just off that initial drum loop that you hear early in the song? Is that something where you were like kind of building songs more in the box with this type type of record where you would be just writing to like writing a melody to a drum loop or something like that, or did everything still
2: kind of start on guitar for you? So the drum loop on the record in the verse is actually different than the demo that I had. Uh, I'm happy about what Courtney did on the record because mine was like haphazardly thrown apart. But with that song in particular, that music had been around for actually for years. Uh, I remember that was actually a really old armor demo, but, No, I, I think the thing for me in that song was always, that was like just an example, an exercise in how small can I make the verse and how big can I make the chorus? So that was like, like some songs I write chorus first or verse first, but that was like a combination of like the verse and the chorus were written at the same time. Um, but it was it was just tough cuz the verse is so small and then the chorus gets so big and like the diff- or like I think I'm singing an octave different between the verse and the chorus so the verse is actually really low for me to sing and the chorus is really high for me to sing so that was just a little bit technically hard for me to do
0: Buddy. I just wanted to take a minute to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by North 45 Pub, located in the Alphabet District of Northwest Portland. They've got a killer selection of Belgian beers and an extensive liquor wall of over 200 bottles. It's summertime, and they've got their 45th Parloma on the menu, their play on the Paloma, as well as their staple food item, the rosemary garlic fries, which are easily my favorite thing on the starters menu. That fry sauce. I don't know what it is, but it's banging, and in addition to the cocktails and the food, they've got one of the best patios in the city, tons of big screens outside to enjoy the sun and all your favorite sports, and the best part is they've also got free live music. You can catch DJs there every Tuesday night from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., residencies from local artists including Spinach. Vanport, Sicko Side, and WWJP, as well as DJs and Beatmakers, every Sunday from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Don't miss local beat makers Love Jones, and Free Tillman every second Sunday, and DJ Slim Guinea every fourth Sunday at North 45 Pub. Now let's get back to the episode. As far as, like, you know, this idea for Rain Museum has yeah. been around for so long, so, like, were you just kind of always making some sort of notes about the idea for this record even when it wasn't happening over these like last 15 years would you write something down like oh this this pertains to this this idea or was most of it uh just kind of created in the last couple years because i know you mentioned that maybe some of the you know you're diving back into some old armor demos maybe yeah for some ideas
2: i mean Yeah it's weird it's always been in my head I mean like another example so My For like songwriters you need to Make like a little stupid name of Like the company that your songs are registered In in ASCAP and my my name For my song registry company Is called Sinking Museum Music And that was always because that was the end of the Rain Museum story So it's just it's always been In my head and um I've just always seen visuals From it and uh I don't know. Yeah. So it's just like, it just never left me. So, um, you know, so see you on the other side, for instance, like the verse talks about like, you know, I'm like trying to like get to somebody and I'm like, uh, slipping on these like stones or these steps trying to work my way up. And it's about this like walled city. And like, for me that goes back to like the world in my head that I imagine the rain museum being in. So it's like, uh, it's just like pulling from this thing that I've been thinking about for a long time. Was
0: there uh what did you maybe uh, find to be the biggest challenges in making this particular record?
2: Well, it was, <laughs> yeah, I guess this is, this is uh, worth noting. It was hard to make a record in the heart of COVID lockdown. So we recorded it. So we're in, well, we're in September now. So a year, so not this summer, but the summer before that, um, so it was really fucking hard One of the things we ran into is I got COVID in the middle of making the record um, So I had I had a few more songs to sing And the recording process took seven weeks Not four A lot of that was because It was hard to get people into the studio Because um, people felt weird about flying And uh, no one wanted to be around each other So like rental places were closed And obviously we couldn't get into like studios were shut down so it was just tough to make a record and then we were on a roll we had a few more songs left to sing and i got COVID, and my voice started going out and i was like "Ah, i've been feeling a little sick i don't know what's wrong with me i thought it was like sinus stuff but i was like i was like there's no way i have covid because i'm double vaccinated so we didn't think i had covid and then i went to my friend's birthday party and um I remember at the end of the night, I was like, that was a really fun party, but the food tasted like shit. Like it was like really (laughs) bad. And then I got home and I was like, I was like, not only was the food bad, but like it actually had no flavor. And then I was like, fuck it. It literally had no flavor. So I went and tested myself the next day and I had COVID. I had to tell all my friends at that party about it. But then I had to sit alone in my apartment for 10 days Until we could finish up the last Few songs and Courtney since this was the end Of the record Courtney had other things that he had to Do and so yeah so just like Everything else during that time it was hard to do The record during COVID but it was very Appropriate for the record because A lot of the inspiration for the record Came from the isolation of You know uh, Dealing with a traumatic Event when the world was shut down um, And kind of like Facing a lot of a lot of negative mental issues that came with um, quarantine and lockdowns.
0: Yeah. Tapped into the vibe. Yeah. Some of the tunes. Yeah. (laughs) Some of the, the way behind it for sure. sure. So it was appropriate. uh kind of surprised you how it how it's fine like final produced version came out in comparison to the demo like was there one that was just like whoa this one is so far different from like what that initial idea was
2: yeah so i got to give a shout out to uh, a song called new rainbows on this one that's uh it's uh, like the acoustic i guess ballad yeah, song yeah the ballady track yeah, for yeah, sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just came out with a video for it a couple weeks ago but um that was speaking of songs that were hard to write. That was the last song that I wrote lyrically because it was really fucking hard for me to write that one. Um, and uh, it was just kind of based, I mean, the, the whole song is basically three chords the whole time, but the way that it came out, I, I gotta give a lot of props to Courtney on this. He really helped build out that song production wise and just uh, kind of make it, um, I think, uh, like prettier than I thought it would be and kind of like more epic. Um, so when that started out, it, it's called new rainbows. Cause the original idea that I had for the song was just kind of like, they're two kind of like janky guitars that are playing in the verses. And to me, I was just ripping off um, or trying to rip off something that would be on in rainbows, which is like one of my favorite Radiohead records. So I saved the file as in rainbows. And then when I went to like, uh, work on that song again. I called it "New Rainbows" just so I would remember the difference of the file name that it was the new version of it. And so that was an inspiration for the the lyrics, which is "Go chase new rainbows on your own." But that just came because it was I was originally trying to rip off Radiohead. Anyway, the original idea was supposed to be just kind of like a smaller kind of like acousticy song, but I think it really got built out to more of like a an epic-y song that has this big like drum moment in the end so that was something that was uh, probably most different from how it was written but uh, I like it
0: pretty clear to you how all the how all the puzzle pieces fit with this as far as
2: the sequencing of the record the sequencing was was tough on this one um you know like the the first track i knew would be the first track the last track i knew would be the last track uh but i definitely had to think about the rest of it um for a while and uh, then it kind of made sense to me once I figured out how to sequence it. So for me, when I hear the record, it, um, I hear it as uh, kind of starting off, I guess, lyrically in a kind of a confident way. And it falls off into um, like oblivion or like not caring or just kind of like giving up. Uh, so at first I was like, should I kind of like intersplice the more positive, hopeful songs with the more, uh, you know, um, hopeless ones. But then it made sense to me to just kind of like front load it. I guess, honestly, a lot of the more up tempo songs and songs that maybe have more of a positive spin, it just kind of funnels into desperation. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Um, which is cool. And honestly, like I thought... People would really like the front half of the record and then get bored by the back half and it's only been out for a couple of weeks, so time will tell you know if there is a general consensus eventually, but the feedback I've gotten people have like cited a couple of the songs on the back half of the record as like their favorites and i'm like damn awesome cool like i wasn't expecting that um but i appreciate it
0: yeah i don't i don't think by any means you know listening to it front to back even last night and a couple times this morning it's like i don't i don't think it feels like exhausted by the end you know by any means you know good And and I think yeah, there are some of my favorite tracks that sit on the back half of it for sure. That's always good. As far as you know, the videos for these newer tunes—is it really important to you that you have a lot of input with the art direction for those
2: things? Yeah. So one of the cool things about um, this album is we knew we were going to do three music videos, and in the past, our music videos were like we're going to have a single let's reach out to a bunch of directors. And then we'd get like 10 emails back from directors and they'd all pitch their ideas. And then we'd be like, okay, we like that one, but they had nothing to do with each other. And it was like, we didn't have anything to do with the ideas. So for this album, we are like, we want to do three videos. We want them all to be connected. So my friend Jesse Corman, who's the singer from a band called The Number 12 Looks Like You, and my good friend, who's actually a movie producer now and has directed some amazing videos and is a very talented director in his own right, came to me and was like, I think we should make a cohesive three music videos. So we got together and I wrote three videos and we came up with a plan to do them all at once. So the first two music videos we did uh were how far apart and whatever, who cares? And we we did those over the span of three days and then we did the video for New Rainbows a couple weeks later. But what we wanted to do was have them relate to each other kind of in these little like Easter eggy kind of ways. Yeah. And um to tell like an overarching kind of story. And we hoped that we would plant these things in there and not tell anyone about them. And then over the course of time, maybe if people you know pay attention they can Kind of like pull out these these Different connections and wonder like what the fuck What does that yeah.
0: mean <laughs> oh, I, th- I love the easter eggs yeah. you know Cause that, that just proves that there was like a next Level of thought totally. put into things You know yeah. not everybody is going to find them But the people yes. that do are gonna be fucking Excited
2: yeah totally So yeah I've already gotten some people being like Wait a minute what Like why does this thing appear again in this video Why Why is this symbol back what And uh, and that's cool. And uh, Jesse and I actually recorded a um an explanation of the videos. Um, and I went back and uh, I I went to edit them, and I realized that talking about the first two music videos, our explanations for each of them was forty five minutes long for each video. And I was like, dude, I don't (laughs) I don't. don't, The music videos are three minutes long. I don't think people want to listen to us talking about them for forty five minutes. That's so funny. But maybe eventually I'll edit it down. Um. Yeah. But a lot of thought went into them.
0: Yeah. And I think like that further pushes like the narrative or like the folklore a little bit yeah. of like the record itself, you know, totally. knowing that those connections are between the videos and just kind of, again, like going back to creating that world, like the the mm-hmm. first instrumental track does.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, we didn't want to make any connections just to say we made connections, like it all is in service to like the record and to, um, things that I was trying to say. So, uh, so yeah, I'm stoked that we did that. And it's it's there for people to see if they want to try and figure it out for sure. And I'm sure some there's
0: some people out there that are excited to to see some of these new songs being played on this this yeah, upcoming run.
2: We'll see what we can do.
0: I was curious, had your paths crossed much with Hawthorne Heights over the uh, over the years, or is this like the first opportunity that you'll have to tour with them?
2: So we did your standard like warp tours with them, I think. But the one thing that we did um, with them more than just like the standard running into of bands is we did um project revolution with them in 2008 maybe 2009 which was uh lincoln park's yeah uh summer festival so inside like the main event it was lincoln park main support was chris cornell he would play Soundgarden and um audio slave songs which was sick And then opening up for that, Busta Rhymes, although Busta Rhymes canceled after the first show and uh, the bravery. And then outside, there was like an opening stage that was like before gates to the actual amphitheater opened. And on that was us, Atreyu, Hawthorne Heights, and one other band. I think they were called Ten Years, maybe. That was a band. Yeah. Ten Years was a band. Oh, you know them. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, that they were a like band. a southern rock band. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, 10 years. Yeah. Um, nice, guys. But so on that tour, we got to hang out with Hawthorne a bunch. It was a very interesting situation because um, like, we were opening up for Lincoln Park, but we had no access.
0: Yeah, outside of these gates. <laughs> no,
2: no, literally. Like there was catering every day for Lincoln Park, but we did not have access. On the very last day of tour, Mike Shinoda um, came to the buses. Uh, we'd been on tour for a month never met anyone in Lincoln Park. And he just wandered over to like our buses and was like, hi, are you guys in the bands? We just wanted to say thanks for playing. (laughs) Like it was cool. I mean, they were fucking, they crushed it every night. The best part of that night of that tour was uh, every night. um, Chris would come on stage and sing a duet with Chester every night. And both of them, obviously their vocal chops are just like insane. Uh, So that was pretty fucking sick, but yeah, that was next level.
0: So this will be an opportunity to reconnect many years later with
2: Yep. Them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great dudes. Um, but talking to J T about coordinating this tour. Um I just love their attitude now is they're just like super chill, like don't take themselves too seriously. Yeah. Uh it's just gonna be a lot of fun. We're doing we're doing like a joint VIP thing with them every night. So like I think tickets are like seventy five bucks and that gets you a ticket to the show and then uh, hang out with us in Hawthorne for sound check, and we're gonna like play a game with everyone this is like VIP things are like kind of weird you just like stand around and watch a band soundcheck but you don't interact with them but like yeah. this is gonna be like a hangout so if anyone's wanted to hang out with us in Hawthorne uh, we're gonna like play games and do like story time and just like kind of like chill
0: well I'll certainly make sure all the links are in the episode notes so people can uh, buy tickets to those shows yeah. and uh, find the new record yeah man Equal Vision did some, some vinyls for
2: yeah some variants
0: yeah those are always uh cool to to grab a couple of those variants and and see uh see what's available there so i'll make sure all that is uh available to uh to everybody listening and uh um, thanks man yeah i appreciate you taking the time again to to chat with me this yeah it's been super fun and cool to cool to connect with you it, it honestly like does not feel like it's been a year dude, and a half that's, that's, that's fucking, for sure
2: <laughs> that's crazy dude <laughs> can't believe it's been that long
0: uh i want to play the episode out with uh whatever who cares which you mentioned it has one of those videos a part of that yeah those three yep um do you remember anything in particular about this one coming together whether it was in the studio or the the writing process
2: was this one that was hanging around you for a long time so this is one of the ones that came together in the studio there were only two songs that were written in the studio and. my friend Campton uh, Who actually Courtney was friends with He um, it was in Is in the Chain Gang Of 1975 and also Teenage Wrist um, He was in that band for a while which he subsequently left He was a singer of them Anyway friends with Courtney and was hanging out in the studio And um, we started jamming On a song all together And that was the basis for Whatever who cares so I gotta give my hats Off to Campton he's an awesome super talented Dude and I'm um, I'm really happy, um, that, uh, you know, we all co-wrote this song together. Cause usually I feel really fucking weird about co-writing anything. <laughs> um, but Campton was awesome. And I feel like, you know, um, this wasn't like a, a songwriter co-write situation. This was like a dude who I really respect who gets armor. And we were all kind of just like jamming on this idea. So that's the basis of of whatever, who cares? And and I think it came out pretty cool.
0: Hell yeah, man. Well, it's one of my favorites off the Rain Museum. And I don't know if you remember, Ben, but we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show, which is, it's a program. So if we could get the Ben Jorgensen from Armor for Sleeps, it's a program. We can uh, properly end this thing.
2: All right. Are you going to count me down? Count me down. Three, two. One. It's a program. He nailed
0: it, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to assist with the countdown. He did, it wasn't, he wasn't great. No, it, was it wasn't my best. It was pretty you know, good. But uh, you uh, you kept us afloat there. Awesome. And uh, again, man, appreciate you hanging with me. And we'll, uh, we'll play it out with uh, whatever who cares. And that's the Jelly Jams. And we will catch you on the flip side, Los Angeles, Portland, wherever you are
1: listening from. Thanks, dude.
0: give a big shout out to distro kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast can't say thank you enough to distro kid for their longtime support of this thing make sure you go into the episode notes and find that distro kid link to receive 30 percent off your first year of membership making their already affordable prices even cheaper for you so make sure you take advantage of that you can also find the link in my link tree in my instagram bio Big thanks to Distro Kid and the other sponsors of the show, Produce Row Cafe and North 45.
1: Stay up, stay tuned.